0: Today we are joined on Jimmy's Jobs of the Future by Pete Flint, a general partner at NFX, a seed-stage venture capital firm based in San Francisco. His background is as an entrepreneur. Many entrepreneurs dream of reaching the fabled unicorn status, where a company is valued at over a billion dollars. Pete has achieved this incredibly not just once, but twice. He was part of the founding team of LastMinute.com with Marfa Lane Fox and Brent Holman, which was acquired for $1.1 billion. After this, Pete came to California for his MBA at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. While at Stanford, he noticed how difficult it was to search for housing and co-founded Trulia, which he led as the CEO to then be acquired by Zillow for $3.5 billion. Venture capitalists sometimes have a reputation for being a bit aloof, but Pete and the team at NFX are far from that. They write very helpful and straightforward essays on the challenges that entrepreneurs face. I've been thinking for a year how to transition my career post Downing Street, and their article on how to 10x your career is the best piece I have read. In fact, it is so good, I would ask you to pause this podcast and read the essay, because we'll be referring a lot to that piece. When I started this podcast, I wrote down a dozen dream names people that I thought would make exceptional guests. Pete was one of those names. He was very helpful to me when I went over to Stanford at the start of the year. And it's a real pleasure to welcome him on to today's show. Pete was very helpful to me when I went to Stanford University at the start of this year. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome him on to the show. Thanks, Jimmy. Great to be here. Pete, One of the things that I was really intrigued about was just how NFX as a venture capital firm differentiates itself. There are so many VC funds that start out there, and I'd just love to know a little bit more about what makes NFX different.
1: Sure. Well, it's great to be here and great to catch up. Shame we're not in person.
0: So yeah, a little context
1: around NFX. So NFX started three or four years ago. The firm is founded and run by former founders and operators. So we've collectively built 10 companies with exits of $10 billion. So really unique level of experience. While there are so many seed funds in particular, we found that the sort of level of experience, advice, networks and mentorship was really missing at the seed stage. Now, of course, there are a few great seed firms, but there are many, many, which really sort of provide capital. And we felt that this period, which is finding product market fit, is the most important time for a company. And so we really wanted to apply our experience as founders and operators to this area. That was a key area of focus and differentiation, the the level of experience. In addition, the word NFX stands for network effects. Our focus is on network effect businesses. What that means is companies that the bigger they get, the better they get. And so that's been a sort of longstanding kind of area of focus for us as founders and operators and, really what's defined so many great companies. That's really what we're exclusively focused on B2C, B2B, platforms, networks, marketplaces. Those are the core differentiators. There's a couple of other things we do, which we think are pretty unique around software and thought leadership and other things, but it's really about network effects and expertise.
0: Absolutely. And your thought leadership stuff is something that we'll come on to in a bit more detail. But first, just looking at your story and so on, and that experience that you've got that you touched on there. You were involved in the travel industry with lastminute.com whilst 9-11 was taking place and having a huge impact on the travel industry. You were also founding a kind of real estate company in Trulia when the 2008 crash happened. What did those events teach you about resilience and so forth? And how do you pass that on to companies that you're now investing in?
1: I guess the sort of first thing is that entrepreneurs are kind of naturally optimistic. And I think often you see these sort of like awful events and we're going through one right now. They create sort of ignore the human tragedy that's going on. Tremendous opportunities for kind of entrepreneurs and businesses. I see some founders that are kind of deer in headlights and others which see opportunity in the crisis. And there's absolutely tons of opportunity. And through my experience in last minute in September the 11th, it was just awful. And I think it was more just like sheer will that the company got through that and then once you get through that i remember having kind of going through 2008 in online real estate which is a similarly kind of like economic challenge not the human challenge but the economic challenge it was like actually people are still going to need houses and so this is actually going to be fine and i think the fact of me going through that experience made me just like we have fundamental faith in society to figure this out we're going to be fine and so now is the time to be aggressive and take market share and innovate and figure out how to more efficiently match supply and demand. And then looking today, I think the same thing is absolutely happening. Of course, we're all scared, and we continue to be. But there is tremendous opportunity, particularly for technology entrepreneurs, to help consumers, to help suppliers, to digitize the economy. And those of us that sort of want to lean into that will come out of this in a few years' time, you know, hopefully making the world a better place, but also building a really significant company as well.
0: Yes. And I think you're right in terms of the disruption that's happening now. And as I said to listeners in the introduction, you've written, this great piece on how to 10x your career when thinking about moving into the technology startup world not necessarily as a founder but even if you're looking to join a company or even if you're at a big technology company and you're thinking about making the shift to a startup. One of the things that really struck me in that piece that you read was about picking a sector and not a company. And sometimes it's quite easy to get dazzled by company brands that are doing incredibly well and that particularly have a big consumer side of things as well. And you talk about all these different aspects that people can do to assess a sector. So look at Google Trends. There's all the Gartner hype curve that's out there as well that you can look at in terms of which sectors are growing. But what are you seeing growing at NFX at the moment in terms of trying to help the listeners just jump a little bit ahead of that curve? We had Sarah Wood on last week who was talking about green tech and health tech, for example, but would be really interested in also the sectors that you see colliding as well. So health and AI you talked about as being a big one, for example. I'd love to just hear your thoughts on particularly what sectors are growing now. Yeah, it's very
1: hard to pick a company, but it's much easier to pick a sector. And then, you know, if the company is not great, then as long as you figure that out, then you can move to a great company early on your career. I guess sectors that, you know, and you talk about this sort of Gartner hype curve, which is really interesting, which is the sort of like what's peaking and what's troughing and what's kind of like plateauing. encourage kind of folks in the early stages of their career to almost think like an early stage venture capitalist. Like how would you kind of place bets if you were an early stage venture capitalist? And these are sectors which have some sort of fundamental kind of technology innovation that is enabling them to kind of break through into a sort of mass market proposition. You know, they need to be kind of novel enough that there's not thousands and tens of thousands of people doing it, but not niche enough that no one's interested in what you're doing. So stuff that I think is starting to become mainstream over the next couple of years will be around AI. The promise has been with us for many years, but I think it's fundamentally starting to get so good that it's going to permeate all our society in hopefully very good ways. Another area I think is computing computational biology. 2020 shone a light on healthcare and this computational biology and CRISPR. And it's just such a fascinating sector. And you look at the way the trends have evolved in silicon, how they're applying to genomic sequencing and other areas where I think that's a really terrific area. I'm still in you know, a midterm excited about a blockchain and kind of areas like that. And then also midterm excited about VR. We're in this sort of mixed reality world right now where it is literally mixed reality where we're kind of looking at screens and people. And I think that is going to create some sort of sort of breakthrough opportunities in the next few years.
0: And that, I thought, was the great point. Take VR as an example. If you join a startup or something anywhere in the VR space, that is going to be an area that's relevant for the next 10 to 15 years. Right? We don't know exactly the growth curve that it will be on, but that's the point that your article was getting across that I thought was so good, was that you will build specialisms, you will build contacts in that area, and they will stand you in good stead for the next 10 years of your career.
1: One of the things that sort of as a venture capitalist, we look at when is the right time for this company to exist. So why now? The sort of question, why now? And it often comes down to kind of three different sort of characteristics. One is just the technology trends. An example is sort of solar. The price of that's getting lower and lower and lower. I think it's now about to be or is the cheapest form of electricity. And so that industry is clearly exploding. Similarly, in kind of how there is. So understand these technology trends and they generally compound over time and continue. Then looking at the sort of cultural trends that are happening. So what's the cultural catalyst for kind of this breakthrough idea and remote work? You know, you think about virtual reality. Okay, that's happening. And the third is sort of economics. There's an economic breakthrough. And so I think you may not kind of get it right exactly the right time. But if you're building an expertise in a career, then I think you kind of have to think about what are the long term trends in an industry and, and sort of feel confident that maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but if you're early on, and you're willing to take that risk, you have a front seat at this amazing breakthrough industry, which could be career defining in a really exciting way for folks.
0: But well, I think that's true as well. And you know, some of our younger listeners are characterized as millennials, and whole BOMO, fear of of missing out and sometimes paralysed about kind of career choices. But actually, that's the point the essay is making is these are all growing areas. All the things that we've talked about so far are all going to have an impact on the world. We don't know what it will be, when it will be. But actually, just moving into those areas is going to lead to an uplift in your career aspirations.
1: The world has changed in the last sort of 10, 20 years. I think principally it's about people used to go to big companies to learn skills, but in generalist skills. And I think the access to information has changed so much that individuals can learn sort of new skills and general management skills much more readily, whether that's sort of like on YouTube courses or kind of like remote learning. And so this access to education has been permeated. And I think there are many great managers and people at small companies, as big companies. And so I think People should be not optimizing for these graduate trainee schemes where they're taught a whole bunch of basic stuff. And you can learn that basic stuff anywhere. But if you're able to join a high growth company in an incredibly exciting sector, then that will put you in a remarkable position later on. And you're going to figure out the graduate trainee stuff. But you're also going to become an expert on a really exciting sector in technology, which can rocket fuel your future career.
0: Yeah, absolutely. One of the other points that you make in the essay that I think is particularly important is about picking a great manager and somebody that's going to open you up to lots of things. Another good point in it is that you'll probably be in touch with your managers throughout the rest of your career. And again, I think that's something that's changed in the last 10 to 15 years, because prior to that, there weren't the communications tools to stay in touch quite so easily. And I can think of all the people that I've worked with, and some great mentors who I'm still in touch with now and lean on for advice. But I'd love to know a bit more about how you can go about picking a great manager and the questions that you need to ask. I mean, I'd love to know how you came across Brent Holman and Martha Lane Fox at lastminute.com and joined the founding team there. How did that come about?
1: You know, Some of this kind of essay is based on my own experience. And, you know, I feel incredibly fortunate to be exposed to the internet in the UK in the mid 90s. And the way that I kind of got into it was I did a summer internship at JP Morgan, the investment bank, and they put the summer intern on the internet. They said, go and figure out the internet because us old fuddies have no idea what that is about. And so I became, and this was 1995, I became a local expert on that industry. And at the same time, I realized that I really just didn't want to work at JP Morgan. It's a great organization, but wasn't for me. Too big, too bureaucratic, too much bank and not enough startup. So that was terrific. So the next summer, another summer internship, I wrote to every single internet company that there was in the UK, which I think there were 31 at the time, mostly isps and i said hey this is me i kind of like learned this internet thing do you have any summer internships i got a couple of internships and one of them was with an organization called line one which has sort of since disappeared, but it was a British telecom and news international, the Times The Sun, et cetera, internet provider. I got a summer internship there and Brent was also, I think he went not joined them full time, but he was sort of hanging around and sort of considering joining. So I met him kind of through that process and that's both a way to kind of alpha test your career choices as well as to sort of meet people. And I think it was back in the internet back then, there were a lot of like many of these sort of like frontier technologies, there were a lot of really, really interesting, very, very technical, but kind of wacky people, which were terrific. And that, that's what made the internet great. They were counterculture folks. But there was starting to be a group of people that could sort of navigate the world of business, plus with this technology, plus with a sort of ethos to be accepted in the community. And Brent and a few others were part of that. So Brent and I sat next to each other at Line One. I joined them on graduation. And frankly, neither of us really liked this company called Line One. It was just the corporate marriage was just sort of dysfunctional and it was sort of destined for failure. And then Brent left and then started lastminute.com, which was last minute network at that point with Martha, who we'd known for a while. As soon as he raised a bit of money and could pay my salary as a, I don't know, in my early twenties, then I joined you know as part of the kind of first couple of employees. That was a story. And, and to your question, like, how do you find a great manager? I think it's one is just spending time with that individual. And it, it's a real privilege to be able to choose your manager. So it's not, you don't always get that luxury, but if you can then spend time with the person. Is this someone you just enjoy hanging out with? They enjoy hanging out with you. Do you feel you can learn from this person? But then also, you know, hopefully through the interview process or kind of other networks and LinkedIn and other tools today can really help you to kind of understand the sort of background of a person. You do your own reference checks on them. Do the other teammates seem to be happy? Do, you know, look at the sort of background of the team. Has the team followed this person from career to career? I, when I'm hiring people, I always look for, have they taken people from perhaps their life or their career and they have followed this person over time? They continue to stay in touch. That can be very, very good proxy for someone if they this is a person that can be a very good manager
0: and so much of that individual research is available now which is interesting because when i was graduating in 2008 nine time that actually you, you still couldn't find that much information out about individual there was stuff out there but now with letters of podcasts and youtube you can actually really get a feel of what somebody's like from doing that research and i love how last minute was called last minute network and now at nfx it's almost like it's come full circle for you but what are the best sources do you think nowadays for people to kind of get that information because whilst i've just mentioned there's lots that you can do out there it's almost overwhelming to know where to start with things i mean we were talking just beforehand about how you know we got a lot of our information in our formative years from newspapers the economist and such like what do you recommend are the best sources for people to read now on the future trends of business
1: Clearly, the internet is just a goldmine. And I think Twitter is finding interesting people to follow, kind of what are they tweeting about, what topics of conversation are going on. So and, and almost looking at mind of think of your career, like a venture capitalist thinks about his investments, where are the early stage top venture capitalists putting their money? There's interesting sectors you're doing and you'd hope that early stage venture capitalists have about as good of information as it gets. About what it could be the whole sectors. So obviously don't get it right 100% of the time, but those sectors I think are very interesting. So look where the money is flowing. Because the money will, you know, typically flow to opportunity and use that as a proxy to figure out where to think, where the hot opportunities. The other areas, really, you know, I'm a student of kind of network science. If you think about kind of network science, the critical thing is to think about where are the nodes, where are the high density nodes in society? Those are the smart, connected people. Do you know someone who's just like has a big network connected and sort of on the frontier of things and speaking to those people, literally sitting down or doing a call with them and asking their advice? And that not only helps you triangulate into what are the right sectors, but hopefully in terms of what are the right people or companies that might be interesting for you. So find those people that are in your network or somehow connected to you. And that will help you give clarity give some more precision on these sectors and hopefully give you more contacts and networks and companies to connect with.
0: And those network effects pieces and the nodes pieces on the NFX website are really interesting as well, talking about those sort of seven crossroads that you have during your life as well. and I think it's I'd really recommend people reading them as well. Why has NFX put such emphasis on its thought leadership? I mean, it's very interesting and it's very clear advice for people, which I read them and respond to you with my thoughts on them all the time. But why has NFX played such a big emphasis on that thought leadership?
1: We both, I guess, sort of like scratching a personal itch, as well as really helping to kind of build the firm and get the word out. So the scratching the personal itch is like I think we've had a lot of the reason that I love to do what I do today, rather than building a company, is that I really want to help the next generation of founders to build iconic companies. I've had really unique experience to see two companies from idea to IPO. There's a lot of sort of experience through that, and so unfortunately I can only really help ten to twenty companies on a sort of regular basis where I'm on the board and speak to the founders every single week but we get approached by five to ten thousand companies a year you know i've been in their shoes and i've been rejected by investors dozens and dozens of times it's a terrible thing to say no to good companies which we do sadly every single day and so this is a really a way for us to kind of scale kind of the knowledge sharing to companies that we can't help on a sort of one-to-one basis that we put down this perspective and help them and of course it sort of helps us to kind of plant a seed in founders mind that if you're looking for an investor then only provides capital, but gives you advice. We give the tip of the iceberg in our kind of publishing, but also, you know, there's obviously so much depth to this stuff, which really requires sort of understanding context, which hopefully the founders will choose us. Founders today are in a very privileged position. There's a lot more capital than there was 20 years ago when we were getting lastminute.com going. And so we want to pick founders, but also we want founders to pick us. And so this is a way for us to put our best foot forward and for them to understand the type of expertise that we can bring to the table.
0: I think it's it's great that you're doing it. And I think it's so resourceful for people to be able to look at those things and, and really is becoming almost, like you said, the source of information. And for people, those looking to change careers and so on, the amount of data that venture capital firms provide you know, is, is really outstanding. And your pieces as well back that up and give people real practical advice on it as well. Three key themes of this podcast have been talent, diversity and flexibility. Young, ambitious companies always face a challenge between hiring a full-time employee but also getting the right level of experience for what they need and within their budgets. This is why Romney Thomas set up Juggle Jobs in 2017. Juggle is a platform where companies can hire mid- to senior-level talent on a flexible basis. It is worth thinking of Juggle as an Airbnb for high-end employment. As Hayden Wood said in our first episode, he rents experience and hires talent. You can post a free advertisement on Juggle in just a few minutes and then you are presented with intelligently matched candidates. You can check out their process at juggle.jobs. That wraps up the first half of this interview with Pete Flint. Join us in the second half for when we discuss the 48 hours in which Pete met Steve Jobs and Mike Moritz of Sequoia Capital.